Uh, we're starting a, we started a series last week called Daniel. So again, if you're uh, jumping on board with us or you're new with us, uh, you're more than, you'll, you'll pick right up with where we are. But they are online for you, so you can watch that. We've had some video issues. I think we had a lightning strike uh, uh, last week, and it took out one of our pieces of equipment. But I think they're, they've got a couple. It'll be a little bit more raw footage than what we normally do, but uh, you can still hear the audio or watch that video and catch up where we are. But last week, we shared a little bit of history, uh, where Daniel falls in the Bible. Uh, obviously, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the major prophet section of your Bible, so it's after Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, you know, just if you find Psalms or Proverbs, just keep going. Daniel's not too far after that, but um, we wanted to talk about, really last week, we talked about where it falls in history as far as Old Testament. Uh, there's the Old Testament, then there's Jesus, and there's the church age, and uh, you know, and we can keep going, but uh, really, Daniel falls in the Old Testament before Christ, 600, uh, about 605 years before Christ, and it really falls in a time where Israel is uh, being taken captive, so uh, there's, uh, as we shared last week, there's kind of like nine different uh, historical, simple places that we could look at uh, that's happened in history. This falls in a time where they're being, Israel is being by Babylon, taken over by Babylon, and all of uh, Israel is taken captive into Babylon, taken back to the land of Babylon, and Israel or the, uh, Israel as a nation and as a land is pretty much annihilated. They pretty much destroy it, and they take all of the uh, the artifacts or the, the precious things that were uh, that given over to God, they take those and they give them to their false gods. And so that's kind of where we are uh, in history. And Daniel's in that uh, he's one of the Jews that was taken captive, and now he's pretty much enslaved to Babylon. He's one of their workers. And so um, we also shared about that last week, how uh, life is not always fair. And that's really where Daniel is. He's in this not fair moment, and he's serving in Babylon. And he was chosen, uh, him and uh, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah were, were chosen to be four, four people that were handpicked by the king that would serve the king. They were, they were found to be good-looking, statues so they used physical appearance, but as well they looked at their, their wisdom and their understanding, and these four stood out, and these four were put with the Chaldeans, the other wise, uh, wise people that would give the king counsel. Whenever he needed counsel, he would go to these people, and they were one of those four uh, that were chosen from the Jews that they took captive. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. That was Daniel chapter 1. Today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, just go ahead and uh, we're only going to be in chapter 2, um, so you can just hang there. You can keep up with us. But um, so uh, Daniel's taken captive. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at this time. In fact, uh, he's probably one of the most powerful kings uh, when it when we talk about uh, the historical nations uh, leading up to Jesus. Uh, Babylon is one of the one of the most powerful and uh, pretty much ruling the earth at that time. And, uh, and so he's the king of, of Babylon. And so that's where we're, all of a sudden, one day uh, he gets a dream. And he has a dream, and this dream is bothersome to him. In fact, you see this in John, or, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, uh, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. How many of you guys have had one of those dreams where you just wake up and it's like, that wasn't right, you know, it just messes you up. Well, he had one of these dreams that was, it kept him up. He couldn't stop thinking about it. It was something he saw. It messed with not only his sleeping, but he was constantly thinking about it. It was one of those kind of dreams. And so he's really talking about, so he has this dream, and then um, this council of, of uh, men that he has around him, so it could be, uh, you know, it could be fortune tellers, it could be magicians, astrologers, enchanters, all of those things, as well as uh, Daniel, uh, Mishael, Azariah and Hananiah, as well as those four men. These, this was the counsel he would call on when he needed wisdom. So when he had a dream, he called on the Babylonian. He called on these wise people. And this is where we're at in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Uh, let's read that together. It says, then the king, oh, 
There we go. He called his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. And they they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious about what I say. And if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. So you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. And so this is where we're at in... in, uh, the second year reign of, of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and his friends have been there for quite some time now. Um, but he has this dream and it's troublesome. And, and actually, this is probably one of, well, this is the first time we read about it in the Bible. I don't know what's written out there as far as historical books, but as far as my knowledge, this is the first time we've seen a request like this in the history of earth, especially in the Bible. Now, we've seen dreams uh, before Daniel. Many people have had dreams, like Joseph had a dream. Um, uh, Gideon had a dream. Uh, so there's many people that have had dreams and have has interpreted those dreams, but this is the first time where uh, somebody's had a dream and you're not told the dream and you're expected to know what the dream is. See, Joseph had a dream. He told his brothers and his dad and he told them what the dream was and, uh, and it came to pass many years later, but he told them the dream and the reality came later. Uh, same with uh, Gideon. Gideon had, someone had a dream about uh, a barley loaf conquer, you know, overcoming uh, an army and so that was, a dream that they had, but then it was interpreting. Gideon knew at that time because he was somebody that threshed barley. He knew that he was the barley loaf and he would conquer the Midianites and that dream affirmed what God was telling him to do. So, but again, these dreams were given in context. So they were told, the dream was uh, told to the person and then the person interpreted. Nebuchadnezzar saying, look, I'm not gonna tell you the dream and I expect you to know the dream and interpret it. Could you imagine that? I mean, imagine that. I'm not gonna tell you. It'd be, it'd be like this. So uh, I don't wanna... Uh, pick on anybody uh, newer to the church. You're not gonna, you're not gonna raise your hand. I know because it's awkward. I, I know this is the way it works. I'll use Chuck since I know Chuck, and and he won't be mad at me. So it would be like, uh, you know, coming to a service and uh, and I just sit next to you, I sit next to Chuck, and I said, Chuck, I had a dream last night. Oh, I yeah. need you to tell me what it is, and I need you to interpret it. Still, there's one the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to rip your limbs off, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to burn your house down. Now, as a pastor, that might be a good thought sometimes. Not for you. I mean, I love Chuck. But, you know, sometimes, you know, being a pastor can be difficult. But imagine that. Like, if you don't interpret it right or you don't know what it is, I'm going to rip your limbs off and burn your house down. That's a lot of pressure. Well, I know where I'm going, so it's okay. <laughs> so uh, that's welcome to Westridge, by the way. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here if you're newer with us. But that was, would be what it's like. I mean, the king has that much power. Actually, he's, he's one, the most powerful man on the earth at this time. And he's manipulating and threatening people by literally their lives if, if they can't do this. Now, these guys, uh, these Chaldeans, these wise people, uh, this isn't like they're new. They, they would have had, they had a relationship with the king. They're very wise people as far as education. Uh, you know, they study the stars. They do all these. So that, as far as education-wise, they're very knowledgeable uh, but I don't know about you, that would be very intimidating uh, if a king came to you, even, even as a Christ follower, and just as a 
pure man or woman of God, if, if King Nebuchadnezzar came and sat down and says, you need to tell me what the dream is and you need to interpret it. Uh, no, and if you don't do that, it's, it's over for you. Uh, there might be a little pressure there, uh, you know, and you can't make it up. I mean, the king saw the dream. He knows what the dream is, so it's not like you can make these things up. Uh, but I love that's what he said. You know, he said, you know, I need you to tell me the dream and I need you to interpret it. And I'm not going to give you much time because you're just going to keep making things up and keep, you know, leading me along. It's, it's not going to happen. So this has probably happened to him before. Uh, so he's, he's a little frustrated. The dream really bothered him that much. But uh, let me throw a perspective at you that's kind of different when you think about King Nebuchadnezzar. He obviously wasn't following um, God of heaven, the God of Israel, the God Daniel worshipped. He was following a lot of other false gods. Uh, but it's interesting to me that he really puts everything on the table when it comes to this dream. He's challenging all the other false gods. He's challenging all of these wise people uh, that are around him. And he's basically saying, look, if you can't tell me the dream, not only is it over for you, but it really, uh, really throws an anchor in all these false gods as well. Uh, and he's really, he's really relying on whoever can tell them and interpret the dream to say, you really do worship the one true God. Now, he doesn't say it in that way till later, uh, but I'm just telling you, it really is a, a strange position for really the wise people. It's strange for Daniel as well. I, I mean, I don't, I don't care you know, where you're at in your faith. I think any of us might have a little lump in our throat when it came down to this moment. Uh, and, but this is where it is. He has this dream and he wants it interpreted. And uh, that's kind of where we are in history. Again, this has never happened in biblical history in this way, as far as not telling you the dream. Uh, again, if it's told and it's interpreted, it, that's been done many times. But never has it not been told and you're expected to know what it is. Uh, so that's the impossible. In fact, uh, so that's my next point. So he has the dream. It's impossible. This is what all the wise people are telling him. In fact, it is impossible in our, in our own flesh to read someone's mind uh, clearly. And this is what they say in chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Uh, it says, and this is where we get the title of the message. I'm, I'm calling the title of the message, No One on Earth, because this is what they say. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king this dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of this king's decree, this king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends as well. So he was part of the group. So here's the guy saying, look, king, what you're asking is impossible. This is not possible by any man on this earth. It, it can't be done. And maybe the gods, the false gods, could answer uh, but they're not here on earth. They're somewhere else, I guess, in left field somewhere. They're out there. They may know what it is, uh, but they're not here to tell you what it is. So here's kind of an out for them. Well, that made him furious. That made Nebuchadnezzar furious. And so then he ordered the decree, and all of them, all of them were to be executed. And so all of his, all the wisdom that was around him for however long is now going to be totally annihilated because of this decree. Now, it's true, I think, uh, I think we could all agree that it's impossible for anybody to do that, right, in their flesh. I mean, if, if you had a dream, it's impossible for me to look into your head and tell you what the dream is and then interpret it. That's, it's impossible in the flesh. I think that statement is true, but it's not impossible for a God that knows everything and can see everything, and that's above not only all of these wise people, but also above the king, Nebuchadnezzar himself, and he's way above 
anybody else. So it's not impossible for God. In fact, we have many scriptures I could give you. I could stand here and give you a lot of scriptures of where God has done the impossible over and over and over and over again. So um, Luke chapter one, verse 37, just keeping the most basic and simple one is when the angels came to Mary and they said, Mary, you're with child. And Mary said, that's impossible because I've never been with a man. It's impossible that I could be pregnant. And the angel said, with God, all things are possible. Even in the natural, if it's not possible, God can go above the natural and do the supernatural and make things happen. So it is impossible when it comes to our human selves, but it's not impossible when it comes to the one true God. And that's kind of where we're at, is, is Nebuchadnezzar is literally going to wipe out all of these wise people because uh, nobody can give him the answer that he wants to hear. Now, his heart is totally wrong. King Nebuchadnezzar's heart is totally wrong. When we talk about life being unfair, this is an unfair moment. It really is an unfair moment. Uh, but thankfully, Daniel uh, hears about it, and he does something about it. And in fact, he says in Daniel chapter 2, 16 through 19, here's what he says. So Daniel went once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them uh, to ask the God of heaven to show, him, show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that, so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So how about that? Not only is it impossible, but here's what happens. Daniel says, King, I'll interpret your dream. I'll tell you and interpret your dream. You just gotta give me a, a little second to talk to God. Give me a moment to talk to God, and I love what Daniel did as well, and this is something we value here at Westridge. It's, very, it's so important that we pray together. Uh, Pastor Derek mentioned about the prayer, and prayer, uh, prayer requests and praise reports. You can put those on your card. It's so important that we're praying together. We're standing with one another, but Daniel said, hey, look, this is an impossible situation, but I believe God can answer. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray for me, and God did. God answered. God gave Daniel the vision and I love Daniel's response. What did he do? He praised God. You know, in our world, what a lot of people would do, and maybe, maybe you would have done this. I know I would have done this in my immature days. If God would have done something like that, you could say, I, I did it. I know the dream, and pride could have set in. But Daniel said, received and said, God, thank you. And he praised God. And so now the impossible becomes possible and then the interpretation begins. Let me share two things about, before I share the interpretation, let me share two things about Daniel, uh, something we can learn from Daniel, each of us can. Uh, the first one is this, is that Daniel, um, he asked that none of the men be executed. Now this is, for old, in Old Testament times, uh, this is also historic. Uh, because if you read anything in the Bible, when, we have, uh, when you have other people that aren't worshiping the one true God and they're worshiping false gods, and there's a test like this, Elijah comes to mind, where Elijah, and the, they are offering sacrifices to God, Elijah is and his friends, and then there's the false uh, prophets offering, uh, their offering to false gods, and when God reveals himself, and the false gods don't reveal themselves, uh, you know, obviously all the, all the false prophets are amazed and astonished, but they're all executed, they're all taken out. This is one of the commandments in the Old Testament is when, false, when we have false prophets that are providing lies and false uh, teachings to our people, we need to eradicate them. That was, that was one of the teachings in the Old Testament. Here, uh, Daniel doesn't do that. Another example would be Gideon. That happened with Gideon as well. Uh, they totally wiped out a whole city. 
But here Daniel sees the vision. He sees, he sees the dream, and it's bigger than uh, probably some of, the, some of the other dreams. Jeremiah being the only one that I think could, uh, there's a lot of messianic prophecies, and you'll find those in Daniel. You'll find them in Jeremiah. You'll find them in Micah. You'll find them in, uh, in other minor prophets as well. But Daniel sees the dream for what it is, and he sees the Messiah coming. He sees that there's a kingdom and a reign that's bigger than, than what Nebuchadnezzar has. And so the interpretation begins. So that's the first thing, is that uh, he chooses to save all the Babylonian wise people, which, is, would, which would have been different. Second is Daniel's very humble. Daniel went to the king and said, King, I've received the vision, but it, it's not me. I'm not wiser than everybody on the earth. That's not the case. How many of you would love to hear that on the news today? Somebody that comes up with this genius invention, like, it didn't, it, I'm not wiser than anyone on the earth. God gave me this. And he brought, he exalted God, not only in front of the king, but in front of all the wise men of Babylon, and eventually to all the leadership, and to everybody in the land, that God gave him this dream. And Daniel was very purposeful and very intentional to give God the glory and give him the credit. Not only after the prayer, when he prayed and he received it, he gave God the credit, but publicly, he also gave God the credit. He's very humble. I think those two things are very important, that he had God's heart, when he said, look, we're going to save all the wise Babylonians. And second, we're going to give God all the glory. And then he interpreted. Now, I'm not going to read the whole interpretation. Did anybody get to read the interpretation? You're going to have no idea what I'm talking about then. There you go. But read it tonight. It's good. Um, basically, the, the dream was this. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it was basically a big statue. It was a humongous statue. I mean, massive. We'll, we'll talk more about this next week. But he, there's this massive statue. So if you could imagine this statue of, let's just say a person, but it's, you know, like all statues, they're always really big. Uh, but this one is uh, bigger than anything you can imagine. It's massive. And the head of it is the most prominent piece of the statue. It is large and it's pure gold. And then the rest of the statue are different elements of gold, uh, but they all stand out in a different way. So there's the head, which is the finest and probably the most prominent and the greatest part of the statue. But then there's also the breast and the arms, and that's a different metal. Uh, then there's the belly and the thighs, and that's a different metal. And then there's the, uh, the legs and the feet, and that's a different metal. Um, so the interpretation of this dream, so there's that, so there's the statue, and then there's also a stone that comes out of nowhere. It's not created by man, it actually is just somehow it's just swiped from a mountain and this big boulder comes and it, it literally destroys this beautiful statue. It, it not just only destroys it, but uh, Daniel describes it as it was crushed so fine, it was eradicated so much, it's like the chaff in a fire. It became like ash, like a powder, like a dust. So if you can imagine this beautiful, humongous, amazing statue made of gold and and silver, and bronze, and iron, and clay, made of all these different things, and it was totally pulverized to a dust by this stone. This is, this is the dream. This is the dream. Now, imagine being Daniel. <laughs> imagine God giving him that dream. Uh, let's just put ourselves in his shoes. Imagine that God gave you the dream. You're not sure. I mean, I think we'd all have this tendency to say, boy, I hope this is right. This is what I got, this big gold head, this body of a person, and it's all these, and you're trying to explain what you're seeing. It takes some faith to say, King, this is what you saw. But Daniel went with confidence, he went with boldness. He knew that God gave him the vision because he didn't have that dream. He didn't come up with this. God gave him the dream, and he knew it came from God. And 
yes, Daniel, had to, he had to take a step of faith. We just finished a series, uh, if you're new with this, you can catch this on, online as well, about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are pretty much active in this interpretation. The gift of faith, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the miracle. All of these things are active as Daniel communicates this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And so here's the interpretation. So first of all, it took Daniel a lot of faith to say, hey, king, here's what was spoken. But he does it confidently, boldly, knowing that it came from God. Uh, I'm sure internally hoping that he was right. I'm sure as he was giving, he's like, well, I really hope this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. But he's delivering it. But then he also delivered the interpretation. So he delivered the, the dream first, and then he interpreted it later. So here's the interpretation. Uh, basically, the interpretation is, let's think about the statue. The statue has basically four parts. Four different metals, four different elements, and that stands for four different kingdoms. Now, today, we can look back and historically say, yes, there was this kingdom, this kingdom, this kingdom, and this kingdom, but when it was delivered by Daniel, it was prophetic. The only nation that was actually established at that time was Babylon, which was the head. That was the only nation that was established. The other ones were prophetic in nature, Uh, but really what this interpretation was saying is, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head. You're the finest and the greatest and the most powerful nation probably that will ever live. But there's going to come a time when another one replaces you. Not quite as great as you. You know, silver is another precious metal, but it's not as precious as gold. It's not as valuable as gold. And so there's going to be another one that comes that replaces you. Now, I don't, Nebuchadnezzar received the interpretation and the dream, and he was thankful for it. Uh, But I would think if you're a king and you're ruling a nation, you're saying, no, I rule the earth, I would think that maybe that might get you a little bit. You mean there's going to be another nation that conquers me that's going to be lesser and they're going to overcome Babylon? Yes, that's what's going to happen. And so Daniel, again, is he's not only presenting a dream and an interpretation, uh, but it's there's some grit to it that might come off the wrong way to a a king that's already manipulating, already trying to tear off limbs and burn down houses. Uh, but he tells him exactly what God told him and exactly the interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar, again, Babylon is the first and the finest of all. He's the head of fine gold. Second is the breast and the arms of silver. That's the Medes and the Persians. So if you were to go back historically, you'll look. They conquered Babylon. They ruled. In fact, uh, you know, most scholars that I've done my studies with this week, they all, uh, they all say the same thing. Now, uh, obviously, there's the breast and the two arms. Uh, a lot of scholars will even say that the Medes and the Purge, there was two different government structures. There was two different people in charge, and they, they say, well, I think the statue even represented that. It represented the Medes and the Purge, and because they had two arms, there's two different governments at play, and there was, again, it's a little bit lesser of a governmental structure even than what Babylon had, um, but the Medes and the Purge were the silver part of the, of the statue. And then the next part, the belly and the thighs of bronze, this is Macedonia or Greece. This is Alexander the Great. If you know anything about history, uh, this is the great conquest of Alexander the Great, the big conquering of Alexander the Great. Um, so this, he would be the, the belly and the thighs of bronze. And then the last one, the legs and the feet of partly iron and clay, this is Rome. This would have been the, the government that was in place. This would have been uh, the kingdom that was in place when Jesus was on the earth, was Rome. And so, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Rome was in power for almost 1,000 years, from 500 before Christ to 500 after Christ. Uh, he, they were in power for a long time. And Rome was that fourth kingdom. And then there's, so, so that's the statue. So the head, Babylon, the, the, the breast and the, and the arms, that's the Medes and the Persians, the, the belly and the thigh, uh, that's the Macedonians and the Greece, and then the legs and the feet, that's Rome. 
And so those are the four kingdoms. But then there's also this stone that comes and just annihilates the statue. And the stone is that God will come and set up his kingdom. That Jesus will come and set up his kingdom and he'll judge all the other nations. And literally will annihilate any nation that is not serving him will be totally destroyed like the, the fire, the chaff in the fire. It would be totally, it would be a dust, there would be a powder, there would be nothing left. And if you've ever read the Bible, you know that God's going to come and he's going to judge and he's going to rule and the earth will be destroyed. There will be no nations left. Be utterly destroyed. In fact, it says in Thessalonians they'd be destroyed by fire or elements. So you think about anything that is that hot goes to an ash. Exactly what the dream is speaking towards. But it says that the, uh, the stone will come and annihilate, and then the stone becomes a mountain. And the mountain represents the church. That until that judgment comes, the church is on the earth, pointing to Christ, pointing people to Jesus. Just think, we're part of this amazing dream and interpretation that was given way before Jesus, 600 years before Christ, this was given. And now you can look back. Here we are looking back, and you could say, yes, there was Babylon, there was the Medes and the Persians. There was the Greeks and the Macedonians. There was Rome. There was Jesus. There's the church. What's next? Jesus to establish his kingdom forever. And we know that's coming, don't we? That's coming. So that's an amazing interpretation and dream. That's what Daniel delivered. And look at this. Then there's the response. The response and the favor. Starting in verse 46 of chapter 2, this is when he gives a dream, he gives the interpretation just like uh, what I just told you, and here's how Nebuchadnezzar responds. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah. Remember, last week they changed their, these are their Babylonian names, over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Isn't that amazing? God's favor the response of the king. Now we're gonna we're gonna read this later uh, next week. Uh, it doesn't take long for Nebuchadnezzar to go falling on his face before God and saying, "Your God is the God of gods." To physically turning away from this great God that he just realized, and then worshiping other gods again. You know, as I was thinking about how we close this up, I was <clears throat> really praying and asking, well, "How does this apply to us? How does this apply to you and me?" And let me just put this out there because I, I was one of those people at one time in my faith where, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. <clears throat> Anyone else do that? Look, I think it's a place of faith. I remember when I would test God or fleece God with those kind of things. I would say, God, if you do this, then, then I'll follow you. Then I'll live for you. Uh, but let me just tell you, in that season of my life, I flip-flopped a lot. Even though God did show up and he was faithful, I didn't really know God, so I would go back to who I was. My old man would creep back up. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar is. God just revealed himself in a powerful way 
but then he went back to who he was, and he made, not only did he see a statue in chapter three, what we'll talk about next week, he made the statue, he made a portion of the statue that he saw in his dream, and we'll read that next week, because it gets crazy. But you can see, I just want you to know that if you're, uh, look, we're always gonna struggle in our faith if we're, if we're really challenging the God that we worship or the God that we're trying to know. If we say, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. All through the Bible, all through history, maybe even in your own life, maybe you've done this. I know I've done this. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Notice that that wasn't Daniel's request. That was Nebuchadnezzar's request. Notice Daniel was faithful to follow God, even, even though it was very unfair to him. He was in captivity, and he's being told that your limbs are going to be ripped off. He's been told a lot of things. He was still faithful to go to God to pray, and he was confident enough, and he had a relationship with God enough that he knew, my God can interpret your dream, and he can give me the dream. You see, your relationship with God is so important to your faith. Knowing God, knowing his heart, knowing who he is, knowing that God can do the impossible, that it is impossible for anybody to do what Nebuchadnezzar asked, but if you worship God, he can do the impossible. And it's because of Daniel's faith, it's because of his relationship with God, it's because he knew God well enough to say, it's not impossible for my God. I'll risk losing my limbs, but I know my God will answer. You see, Daniel had a, had a faith and a relationship with God I'm sure he, like us, he tested God at moments too, but I just want you to know, if your life is always God, if you do this, then I'll do that, you're gonna struggle in your faith. I understand there's a maturity process. I understand that, you know, it, I'm sure Daniel's faith was, uh, he was at a whole different level after he saw this, but I, I'm just telling you that he had a faith before this. He had a relationship with God before this. He knew God could answer the impossible. He emphatically knew, hey guys, pray for me because God is going to do this. Pray for me. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're like me in that, uh, that time in your life where you're asking God to do something. We've got to get to a place where we know God. We've got to get to a place where we know his heart, where we know who he is, where he's constantly faithful. He's always good. His promises are always true. We've got to know what those promises are. We've got to know who he is and what his heart is. So when we get into situations like this, the situation doesn't dictate, dictate us. The circumstance doesn't dictate us. It's our relationship with God that keeps us constant and faithful. Look, it's okay to ask God for things. I'm not saying you can't ever ask God to do something, but what I'm saying is, is you can't link that to be your only link of faith, that when God answers, then I'll do something. No, we're gonna do something because God's done something. God didn't, uh, think about this, your salvation isn't dictated on your works. That's not how God looks at you. God doesn't say, well, if you do a thousand good things, then I'll give you eternal life, does he? No, he showed up in your mess and in your mire and at your worst, and he said, look, son, look, daughter, I'll save you. Just follow me. Know me. Have a relationship with me. I'll save you. Choose to live for me. Choose to follow me. And it's not just feeble words. It's not some, some, some faith that's like, well, I did it once and I don't have to go to God anymore. No, this is, this is a relationship God wants to have with you day in and day out. This is where the God of the universe is revealing himself and showing himself. And guess what? The word of God is where you're going to learn about his heart. It's where you're going to understand who he is. It's where you're going to know about his faithfulness and his goodness along the way in your own personal life and along the way when you fall into moments like this where maybe, maybe you have an unfair life situation. Look, God doesn't forget about you. I'm so thankful that he didn't forget about Daniel and Azariah and Michelle. 
And Hananiah, I'm so glad he didn't forget about them. I'm sure to the Jews, it looked like, God, where are you? This country is crushing us. He's destroying my home. I'm, I'm literally a slave to this nation. Where are you, God? I'm sure they had those moments, but you know what? God did not forget about them. He knew exactly where they were, and he used them right where they were. So in unfair life moments, look, lean in on your faith. Lean in on your relationship with God. Sure, God can do the miracles, but I just want you to know it's not the miracle that's gonna change your faith. It's not, it's not the healing. Is God gonna do those things? Yes. Will it encourage you and help you in your faith? Yes. But let's not link everything to go, if God does this, if God does this, if God does this, then out, then out, then out, because you will never follow God. And to prove it to you in the gospel, there was a conversation between hell and heaven. It was kind of a moment where Jesus said, look, there's this guy from hell talking to this guy in heaven. He said, look, I know there's no change for me, but could you save my family? Can you save my family? And the conversation went like this. Look, your family has seen miracles. They've, they've denounced the prophets. They denounced Jesus himself. I can't help your family. They've seen the miracles of God. They've seen the healings of God. They've seen lame people get up and walk. They've seen the sick healed. They've seen a dead man rise from the grave. If they won't believe Jesus after seeing that, what can I do? Because their heart was hard. They weren't open to a relationship with God. And that's my point, church, is that is God gonna do those things in your life? Yes, is it gonna be all the same? Probably not. A dream and interpretation, how many times did Daniel do that? Maybe a couple times in his life, but it wasn't every day. The miracles didn't happen every day, but you know what happened every day? The prayer, the conversation, the relationship with God. And then when things happen in life, and I love this, let's not let circumstance or unfair life moments shape you and form you. Let's let your relationship with God shape you and form you. So when you walk into those unfair moments, hey, I know a God that can change this situation. I know a God that can interpret that dreams. Hey, I know a God that can heal that sickness. Hey, I know a God that's always faithful and true. Hey, I know a God that's all about love. You see, there's a dramatic difference from knowing God and telling God what you want him to do. Again, I think God knows where we are. And sometimes he knows you need that answer. I get it. I remember when I was, one day I was walking, uh, I was driving home. I think I've told this story, to, but if you're new, I'll, uh, I'll tell it to you. I remember I was saying, God, can't you just write it in the clouds? I, we were in a major life change moment, Jen and I were. And I said, God, can't you just write it in the clouds? Because I was reading a story in Daniel, like where he wrote it on the wall. I'm like, that would be great. If you do that, then I will. God, that would be great. And that's what I told God to do. Now, he didn't do it like that, but he did send a shooting star right in front of us. And we said, okay, that's good enough. <laughs> But it was amazing. It was powerful. It affirmed what God put on our hearts. But I'm thankful that I'm not living my whole life waiting for the miracle. I know miracles will happen in my life, but it's not dependent on if that happens, then I. There was a season in my life where I was there, and God knew that season. He was graceful, and he was patient with me. But I just want you to know, keep growing in your relationship. I'm so thankful you're here. This means a lot to God that we're here to worship him, that we're here to receive, that we're here to read a life about Daniel and take what Daniel's learned and put that into practice in our lives that, look, things are gonna happen. I pray that we never have a King Nebuchadnezzar in our life threatening and manipulating us, but if it does, I pray for you and for me, I pray we're faithful. I pray we still depend on God. 
Because the reality is this world's going to get worse. The reality is the enemy's going to deceive and he's going to steal and he's going to kill and he's going to destroy. It's only going to get worse. But the hope is, is that Jesus is coming. Amen. The big stone is coming. And along the way, we will be his servants. We will be his church. We will be his children. And my God will always be faithful regardless of what he does. And I think that's a life lesson of Daniel. If we can walk away with anything, let the world and let the enemy say, no one on earth can do this. You may be right. But I know someone else that can do this. And I just want to pray for you as we kind of close out our services today. And, but I wanted to challenge you because I think, I think Daniel is a good example of what maturity looks like and what faith looks like, what walking with God looks like. It's not always A to B to C. It's not always cookie cutter. It's all good. There's gonna be some tough life moments, unfair moments. There's gonna be some people that are wishing death over you. And it may not be fair. It may be totally out of left field. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar was wrong in what he said, but I'm so thankful there was a man that stood up and said, my God will answer. Amen. And you know what else is great about this prophecy? It points to Jesus. Because Daniel said, look, save all the men from Babylon just like the Messiah would save. He says, look, I'm gonna give the interpretation, but tell the king to pull off the decree. I don't want any of these men spared. I want them all to be saved. And not only were they saved, but now da Daniel was over all of them. And that's a good thing, don't you know that? That's a good thing. Now you have a man of God that hears from God teaching people that are, couldn't hear from God. That's an amazing moment where he can speak into their lives. And I, I guarantee you that a lot of credibility came to Daniel after that moment. Secondly, another way that it's like Christ is not only salvation, but also God's a just God. He's always right. There will be a time when he judges the whole earth, but you need to know that God is always good in his judgment. He's never been wrong. God wants everyone to be saved, that's for sure. Jesus died for all, the whole world, all humanity, the entire world. And he's made it, he's made it possible for all hu humanity, every person, man or woman or child, to be saved. But if someone doesn't want God, if someone detests God, he's not gonna force them. He still loves them. He still died for them. He still paid the price for them just need you to know that we serve a great God, a just God, a God that's all-powerful and all-knowing. And I'm thankful, I don't know, I hope you're thankful that every day you can talk to him. Every day you can talk to him. Every day you can receive from him. Every day you can, you can learn from him. You can grow in him. Look, maybe there's correction. We all need correction. I need it corrected. You need corrected. Look, the, the gospel, the Bible is good for correction and guidance and direction. The Holy Spirit is there to help us and lead us and guide us. That's why I love every day, just like Daniel, we could go and say, God, here's what's happening. They said it's impossible, but I know with God all things are possible. Could you give me the dream? Oh, and by the way, God, I asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pray with me. And they're praying for Daniel. That's why I love, we do this together, guys. We're all the church. 
The church isn't a denomination. It's not a building. It's his people that are saved, that are living for him. That's the church. And there's going to come times in your life where, look, I don't get it. You don't get it. We don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. So let's go to God together. Let's lean on each other. Let's come together and pray together. That's why I love these altar moments because so many times God answers in ways that we didn't predict or, you know, we didn't come into services today and say, okay, at nine o'clock, this is what's going to happen. God's going to answer this prayer in this way. We say, God, we're opening our mind, our emotions, our bodies, our wills. We're opening it to you. We want to we use it to exalt and glorify you. And whatever you want to do in services, it's yours. I say this a lot. God doesn't show up at 9 and 1045. You know that, right? He knows this service well before we even walked into it. But if you're here today, maybe you're in this Daniel moment. Maybe you're in a moment in life where you need an answer and you need it now. I'm here to tell you that God hears you and he wants to answer you. I can't tell you how or when, but I can tell you he'll answer. I pray he answers right now, today. As we worship him, as we pray, I'd encourage you, if you're in that place, you need to pray with somebody. Please don't let the enemy say prayer is a weakness. Prayer is your weapon. It's your strength. It's your armor. It's what you need. And so I know sometimes I remember when I used to sit. (laughs) If you don't know, I got saved here. I met the Lord here. Uh, So... I remember sitting back there sometimes going, I'm not going up there. Arguing with God, I'm not going up there. Everyone will look at me. They'll know. What will they know? I don't know, but they'll know. I used to think people were judging me. Look, God already knows. They had no idea, but God already knew. And I was just feeling that conviction, and I just didn't want to deal with it. But you know what? When you take the step, there's just such a weight lifted off of you. There's such a, there's such a burden that goes away. For me, that was sin I needed to repent of. That was for me. And maybe that is for you. But maybe you're just in a place where it feels like you got a King Nebuchadnezzar on top of you trying to control your life. Look, God's, God's yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come and receive. So I, just, I say all that just to say, come and pray. Don't be afraid to pray. I promise you we're not looking at you in any way. I promise you we're not judging you in any way. In fact, our heart is God's heart. We want the best for you. We believe God will answer for you. We believe God has an answer for what you're going through. And we're here to encourage you and lift you up, not kick you while you're down, to pick you up. So let's stand, let's pray. Don't worry about your neighbor, just close your eyes. This isn't about what everyone else is doing. This is about you and God. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus and you just, you just know that God brought you here and you need to receive him, would you just lift your hand? Be bold like Daniel. Just be bold and say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for your hands. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? I need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's many. If you're in here and you're having a tough time in life, you need some answers. You need God to interpret your dream or interpret your life. You need some answers. Would you just raise your hand up there too. Just say, that's me. I need some answers. Thank you. Thank you. God's here. God will answer. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for all of these, all of these men and women that are committing to you. Lord, thank you for speaking to them. Holy Spirit, thank you. 
I can't save them, but you can. Jesus, only you save. Only you give eternal life. And so if that's you committing to Jesus, it's so simple. So simple in the sense that you just got to say, God, I, I need you. In your own words, just say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. I repent of running away from you for whatever the reason. Lord, I want to follow you forever. Jesus, I'm making you Lord of my life. That's all you got to do. In your own words, you don't need spiritual words. You don't need to pray like I do. Just in your own words, you just tell Jesus basically that heart and then start to follow. Jesus said this often, don't sin anymore. Change. Trust me. Receive and walk with me. Be a follower of Christ. Watch and see what God won't do in your life. It's going to be powerful, I promise you. We're proud of you. He's proud of you. We're so proud of you. For those of you that need answers, I'm really sensing the Lord saying it's coming. I believe there's some that will hear this morning. Just to encourage you, someone shared with me in the lobby just right between services that uh, their mom had fallen and had some blood clot or bleeds in her brain and most of the people gave up and said it's over, but she got better. Miraculously got better. Look, God loves you. God loves you. Some people will tell you it's not possible. I'm here to tell you there's a God that can make all things possible. Don't listen to the voices that aren't from God. Don't listen to the enemy lie to you. Sometimes you can't even listen to yourself because you're too hard on yourself. You've got to trust the God of the scriptures. You gotta to trust Jesus. And sometimes, and when you're growing in your faith, you don't know what they are, you need some help. Get around some people that'll sharpen you, that'll encourage you, that'll love you. But come pray when you don't know what to pray or how to pray. Come pray with someone that can pray with you. Let them extend their faith to you. Lord, I thank you for what's about to happen today. Lord, we choose to worship you. I ch we choose to lift our voice to you. We choose to lift our, our arms and our, our bodies and our emotions, our wills. We choose to make you Lord of our life. We're not afraid to show it. And Lord, maybe this is new for some of you. Look, if, if you haven't worshiped God, maybe this is new to you. Just surrender yourself. No one's judging. No one's looking at you. In fact, we're encouraging you to worship God, to be yourself, to worship, and however is real to you, to worship Him, but to, to choose to exalt Him, to choose to say, Jesus, I praise you and I thank you. And Lord, we love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Let's worship together. You can give a hand. God's good. Those of you that are committing your life, the water's still warm. You can go in if you want. You let me know. I'll take you in there if you want to be baptized today as well. That's part of the Bible. Some people gave their life and were baptized that day. So if that's you, look, it's just closed. You wash them in water anyway. They'll dry. Trust me. If you want to get baptized, we'll do that for you. Um, but let's worship together and then we're going to have some altar teams come forward so altar teams come on up if you want to pray at any time you're not disrupting service you can come pray now you can come pray in the middle of the song or after service whenever you want but don't be uh, you're not interrupting service I don't want you to feel like you're creating a distraction because you're not we're encouraging you to come pray uh, we love you to do that but if you just want to worship right now and receive and hear from God do that and whenever you're ready to pray you can come at any time let's worship together love you guys Pastor Derek will dismiss you shortly